Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. All right. Good morning. I guess you can hear me okay? I'll admit to you I'm a, a little nervous. This is the first time I've spoken in an American church in, in five years or so. So uh, it's good to be back in America, but I'm used to a, a different crowd and different language and everything else. So bear with me this morning as I kind of go through this. Um, I, I want to thank this church, and I want to thank the God for raising you all up and having you all uh, putting into you the heart of missions that he has. As Alex said, you have from day one supported us. And that support means so much to us. Uh, oftentimes, you maybe, I don't know what you think about the support that you'll give, but maybe you think it's just that you provide funds or you provide, you know, sustenance. And, and that's true, you do. But more than that, you provide kind of a backbone for us, somebody that we know is back behind us. And uh, this church in particular, probably more than any other church, we know that you're behind us and it means a lot to us. Uh, so I thank you for that. So I want to tell you a little bit this morning about our ministry, and I want to introduce our family. Uh, this is us, not taken not so long ago, I think back at Christmas time, uh, the Kilgo family. We have been in Malaysia for since May 9th, 2014. Uh, my, this is uh, my wife. She's not here today. She's in Georgia with her parents. She's going to arrive on Wednesday, and uh, she's... Uh, I hope she's watching this morning, but she really admires you all and appreciates the support, too. Uh, her name is Michelle. Uh, this is our daughters, uh, Elizabeth on the left there. And Elizabeth is here this morning. Can you just maybe stand up? Why don't you stand up? <laughs> Elizabeth has just graduated high school. She is about to start college at Barry College in Georgia, where she received a full-ride scholarship. We're really pleased about that. Uh, that's a, it's a good school, and she's worked hard to get it, so really proud of that. And then Anna is also here. Can you stand, Anna? Anna was, uh, oh, I see, she's 13 now, so she would have been about seven last time we were here. And uh, and these are my boys. Robert is, is on the left there. He is uh, at Grace Bible College. He's 20, just turned 21 years old last week. And David is here. Can you stand, David, this morning? Uh, David was here on his 10th birthday when we were here. Matter of fact, uh, you might remember this, some of you, that uh, you gave him two birthday cakes, which was, uh, and as you can see from his picture, back then he, he probably ate both those birthday cakes. So he's, <laughs> but he's thinned out quite a bit since then, uh, unlike, unlike some of us in the family. So, uh, uh, so David is here with us this morning too. And I'd also like to introduce my mother, if she can stand. This is Sandy. Uh, she's with us here in Seattle. We're going to get to spend six days together. We don't get too much time together, but uh, we're really happy that she's here too this morning. So uh, let me just tell you a bit about Malaysia. And before we start with kind of what I want to say, uh, Malaysia is split into two different pieces here, and I'm going to turn around. Uh, we have kind of what we call East Malaysia, and then this is Peninsular Malaysia where we live. Um, where should I point? There we go. And so here's the peninsular Malaysia that where we live, and it's a 
probably, they say it's about the size of, of New Mexico. If you can imagine what New Mexico looks like, it's about, about that size. And down below, right at the bottom there is Singapore. Singapore, if, if you've never been there or heard of it, is just a big, beautiful, modern city. Probably the most modern city in the world. And, uh, it's kind of our neighbor to the, to the south. And then Thailand is up above it. You know, we have, uh, the Killians that your church supports. They live in, in Thailand to the north. So, uh, oh boy. Got way ahead of ourselves. Uh, let's go one more the other direction. There we go. Okay, we'll just stop here. I'm not sure if that's the right place, but that's where we are. We're in the island of Penang. Penang is just a, a, an island. It's only, it's about 13 miles up and down, 8 miles wide. Just a little place, but its its cultural significance is quite a bit more than its size. Um, maybe some of you have been to a Chinese restaurant and had Penang chicken. or something. Anybody ever heard of that? Penang chicken? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's from this place. And the British settled it back in the 1700s, and uh, there's a lot of British influence. And because of that, it's a pretty modern place. It's, it's uh, 50 years ahead, probably, of the rest of Southeast Asia in terms of uh, utilities and water and things like that. Uh, so uh, a lot of, it's kind of a melting pot of, 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 uh, of peoples and ideas and uh, just this one crowded little island that, that we live on. Uh, I say here it's much more cosmopolitan, right? A lot of Malaysia is maybe rural and uh, very Muslim, but Penang is a, a city a city island that's really cosmopolitan. A lot more Chinese influence. I'll tell you in a moment that that's mostly who our uh, focus is on is Chinese people, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a lot of opportunity to meet people and make contacts, and a lot of op- openness to the Bible too, openness to spiritual things. I'm not so sure I expected that when, when we arrived, but it turned out to be true. You know, the world really does want to know about Christianity, and they want to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it doesn't take as, as much to tell them as maybe you think it does. And we'll talk about that some more this morning, too. So how do you start churches in a place like this? Here's what our city looks like. It's, I don't, none of my pictures are great because I don't have a great camera, and, but... Uh, this is on top of uh, Penang Hill. So most Southeast Asia islands have a mountainous interior, and then you kind of, everyone lives around the coastline. So you can see here, this is kind of part of the city, about half the city. And then above here is the, the mainland. And, you know, we pulled in on May 9th, 2014, late at night. And this, this is a very night culture, by the way. Uh, we were driving from the airport to our hotel that night five years ago. My, I, my thinking was, how in the world are we going to do this, right? We didn't know a single person, not one. Nobody to pick us up, nobody to kind of show us the ropes. How are we going to do this in this place? You know, we, we want to plant churches and we want to to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our efforts. But how? And that really weighed on me. And, and I don't know that, maybe it weighed on me before we arrived, but after we arrived and you just see how different it is than what you're used to, it really weighed on me for a long time. And and I started thinking, you know, how do you get people to listen to you? Now, if you are familiar with missionaries, and I know you are, you know that our training consists of doctrinal training. Kevin was talking a moment ago about the importance of doctrine, and it's true. And I think maybe sometimes in mission training we, we uh, this is going to sound bad, but we overemphasize it. Now, you need it, and it's important, and I'm not saying otherwise, but I will say that 
that uh, having good doctrine is not going to make you successful. Once you're successful, having the good doctrine is massively important, but it's not going to make you successful. So a lot of people will say, okay, well, you need the good doctrine and you need cultural training. And here's an example of, of uh, from the founder of our mission, Vernon Anderson. He was in uh, Indonesia one time. He used to tell the story a lot. And he actually had gone to Indonesia in his airplane, and he broke his leg. And he was trying to plant churches there, and he broke his leg, and he couldn't fly back because he had a broken leg. And he ended up being at the house of, uh, of a man, and he wanted to kind of minister the gospel to him. And he was, I think he was there for three weeks. And he had his broken leg kind of propped up near his Bible. And he was talking to the guy about the, the scriptures and the Bible. And the guy finally just said, I, I can't listen to another word you say with your feet right there by your Bible. You know, that's just the worst thing in the world to a, an Indonesian Muslim. And, uh, and you, you got to know stuff like that. And it's important to know the culture that you're going into. So we, we get a lot of uh, cultural training and a lot of doctrinal training before we go to these places. And, uh, and, and by the way, to end this story, he, uh, he ended up, um, that was the, the key man that started the churches that we end up having now in the Indonesia. We have about 90 things to come mission churches, and it started in this man's house with a broken leg from Vernon Anderson. The Lord knows what he's doing when he breaks a leg every now and then, right? As you can. So, uh, so we know that doctrinal training is important and cultural training is important. But what we ended up doing, uh, I think, is something that, that all of us ought to be doing, right? It's, and maybe a little bit easier than these things. So I want to go through some verses with you this morning about how to get people to listen to you and how to get started in a ministry before we kind of tell you about our ministry. Now, these verses that I'm going to show you come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I, I kind of discovered them for myself when early on in our, our career in, in Penang. And... Uh, it starts this way. This is Paul writing to the, the church in Thessalonica. And he's just coming out of a bad time. He was in the Philippian church. You can read about that. And you know he had some trouble there. And he's going to talk to us about the way he behaved when he arrived in Thessalonica. He's looking back now with some hindsight, maybe 10 years of hindsight. And he's reminding them how he behaved. And I want you to think about your ministry. And you have a ministry. You know you do. And I want you to think about, are you doing these things day in and day out? Because this is what we did to start a church in a place where we didn't know anybody, in a place where we didn't speak the language, and we didn't uh, you know, ha- no, have any idea what we were doing. This is what we did. So he starts this way. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. In much conflict. Now, think about that. The first thing he tells you that you need if you're going to reach people is boldness. You've got to, to get up in front of people, and you may not be comfortable doing that naturally. And you've got to tell them something that in my country could get you put in jail. You've got to tell a group of people a truth that sometimes they don't want to hear. And sometimes that will put you at a great personal risk. And that's the first thing that Paul wants you to know is that, look, this is not supposed to be a cushy life where we sit back and just kind of take it all in, right? This is supposed to be a life where we put our necks on the line and and actually risk a little bit for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to overstate how dangerous it is for us in Malaysia. We we really are not allowed to to share the gospel. We skipped some of those slides on accident. But uh, in Malaysia, we have... uh, 
uh, 69% of our population is, is the Malay people. And Malay people, by law, are not allowed to be evangelized. If you share the gospel with them, then you'll be put in prison. It's very likely that that will happen to you pretty quickly. Uh, if you're born Malay in Malaysia, and just to give you an idea of what a Malay looks like, think of a Filipino. A lot of you know what Filipinos look like. That's a, a Malay race person, right? If you're born a Malay in Malaysia, then you, you are constitutionally considered a Muslim from the day that you're born to the day that you die. You're a Muslim whether you like it or not. And if we try to reach out to those people, we can get in a lot of trouble. Now, we have people that do that, but it's a very specialized kind of ministry, one that takes uh, a lot more foxiness to, to kind of get around what they're doing. And we're not doing that so much. We're speaking out among Chinese people. But there's, my point is, is that there's some risk if you're going to be in the Christian life. And it's not always risk to your personal safety. Sometimes it's risk to your reputation. And that sometimes is harder than anything else, is to put your reputation on the line. Uh, to, to have somebody not like you. I don't know if that's hard for you, but it's hard for me. It's hard for some people. To, have, to know that somebody's not going to like you, or you're going to offend somebody, and you're going to feel sad that you did. Well, you've got to get over that, right? Whether you're a missionary or whether you're in Shoreline or anywhere else, you've got to put that behind you and get over it and get on with it. And then he goes on and he says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceits, right? When you approach people, like he did the, the Thessalonians, uh, you need to have a pure heart about what you're doing. He's going to talk some more about deceit in just a moment. And he continues by saying, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. Carrying the gospel to people, you can't be men-pleasers, partly because the gospel itself is offensive, and it's going to put some people off. And as I mentioned, people are not going to always like you. And I'll tell you, you can be, you can minister in the flesh. You can actually do ministry in the flesh. And one, one way people do that is just trying to be a people pleaser. I don't have to tell you that you don't, you can turn the TV on and see many a televangelist that is pleasing men, right? They're just tickling the ears. But, uh, that's not what we want to do. We want to make sure that we tell them the truth. And then, of course, we know that the truth will please us when we hear it, those that have an open heart to it. Well, Paul, when he was here, he said, what? Uh, I'm not going to be a man-pleaser. I wasn't a man-pleaser when I was among you. And Michelle and I, we, we had the, the same philosophy. We want to be careful to be telling people the truth all the time. He continues by saying, for neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, right? We weren't trying to tell people how great they are. Of course, we want to be encouraging to people, but we're not trying to tell people something that's not true about themselves. We don't want to tell people something that's not true about the faith. We wanted to make sure that we were truth-tellers at all times. And he says, nor a cloak of covetousness. We're not trying to get what people have. Now, I'll tell you, my family would tell you that uh, we are very well treated by our Chinese friends in Malaysia, by all of our friends in Malaysia. Um, but they know that we're not after anything that, that, that they have, right? And some of these folks have some money, right? We're not after their money. We're, we're after their souls. We want people to have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So not a cloak of covetous, like we so often see in the Christian circles, nor did we seek glory from men. Right? And if you're 
kind of wanting to be seen like the Pharisees. If you're wanting all the calls in the marketplace like they had, well, this is not the job for you. The way to reach people and get them to listen to you is to, to be low, to be humble people. In our counseling sessions, I'll tell you more about that later, we, uh, we emphasize humility in the Christian life, being low people. Uh, and the, the Bible says what? That uh, uh, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Well, when you go and you start your ministry, don't try to be a big shot. Try to be humble and lowly and with a servant's heart. Either from you or as others when we might have made demands as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. And here's some ways that I think that we were gentle among people. Uh, not being contentious, right? Sometimes when you're talking about your faith or you're talking about being an American, people want to get, you know, mad at you. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're not so well loved around the world as you think you are. Not everybody likes you just because you're an American and because you're a Christian. Some people aren't going to like you. They're not going to like that there's one God. Right? They're not going to like that uh, some of the things that, that are part of our faith. Well, don't be contentious. Be gentle with people. Right? Nobody ever gets argued into the body of Christ. There's not one person in this room that lost an argument and became a Christian. Right? You became a Christian because people were gentle with you and because God himself is gentle with us. Don't be argumentative. Right? Don't be a know-it-all, because you don't know it all, and I sure don't. And I'll tell you, when, I, when we deal with people in Malaysia, we, we, do, a, we do a lot of listening right? and, and taking things in, not knowing it all. Be tolerant. This might surprise you, but the, the definition of the word tolerant means having the deference to hear all claims on the truth. Right? We, that's what we need to be. Somebody says, hey, I, I know something that's true. Well, you need to have the deference to listen to it. Doesn't mean you have to accept it in the end, but you should listen. And uh, in your ministry, you need to be tolerant. And he goes on by saying, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. I hope what you're seeing in this is that... Uh, the way that the things that really matter in mission work are the same things that matter to you here in Shoreline. Uh, maybe you don't have the cultural learning curve to navigate. Maybe you don't uh, necessarily have to be a doctrinal superstar, but these things you do have to do to reach people. You've got to give your lives to people, just as Paul did. When Paul came there, he wasn't kind of an isolated guy off in the corner. In Malaysia, we're not that way either. You know, we're right in our people's lives all the time. Uh, at their beck and call. Here's some ways we do that. We spend a lot of time with friends. I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of hours that we've just talked to people. And uh, it gets tiring talking to people. And I'll tell you, if my wife were here, she would tell you she gets really tired of talking to people sometimes. She's not quite as social as I am in terms of that kind of thing. It just gets tiring, right? We have to open our home, let people in our home. And that's a very countercultural thing to do in Malaysia. Most Chinese don't want you in, in their home. They want to meet out to dinner, right? That's what they like to do. Well, we opened our home, and it made a big difference, people being at our house. Things like this, things like uh, letting them see the real you. Right? Don't put on a facade. Right? Again, we're not coming to them in uncleanness or error or deceit. Let them see you. Listening as much as you talk. These are all the kinds of things that you do to open your life to people and to, to get them to trust you in the right way. 
and investing to them, in them. Your time, your money, your resources. My wife, if she were here, would tell you she spent countless hours just doing what we call tuition, English tuition. So you would call that tutoring here. But in, uh, in our part of the world, everybody wants to learn English. And uh, English is, you know, it can really improve your chances of getting good jobs and college and everything else. So she spends a lot of time doing English tuition. And she does it for, for free or for cheap. And it's, it's a, people appreciate it. We've had people, a lot of people, directly come to the Lord just because she's an English teacher. And that's something that any of you can do uh, in your community too. That's how you, you share your life with people. And he goes on and he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, laboring night and day, that we not, might not be a burden to you, but we preach to you the gospel of God. And what I take from this verse is that we have to be uh, good, hard workers. We have to have a solid work ethic. And I'll tell you that not every missionary does. I know quite a few that, that really don't. Uh, if you're going to be successful as a minister, you've got to, got to get down and get dirty and work and show people that you're willing to not just be a bunch of words, but you're, the, put it, you're willing to put some backbone behind what you're doing. Uh, Paul was like that in, in Thessal- Thess- among the Thessalonians. Where I think that we're like that in Malaysia. We try to Constantly be doing something, reaching out to people and working hard. You are witnesses in God also of how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is things that you can be doing too. I hope you are doing in your circles, among your co-workers among the unbelievers in your area, behaving blamelessly. Uh, That goes further than anything else. It's not the debating about creation or evolution or anything else. It's are you being gentle among them? That's what matters. And then here's the result. He says, for this reason, we we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. If you'll do those things that he outlines for us here in 1 Thessalonians 2, if you'll be gentle, if you'll not raise yourself up bigger than anybody else, do all these things we talked about, people's hearts will open. And I've never known a person with an open heart that didn't become a believer. Once your heart is open, it's just a matter of hearing the good news, letting it change you, and then that's what it is. Uh, But you have a lot more to do with opening hearts than maybe you think you do. And these are the kinds of things that we do. But I want you to really pay attention to the underlying section here. We thank God without ceasing. Paul is the one that did all that stuff. He's the one that toiled late late at night, did all the hundreds of hours of talking, right? But in the end, when it came time to give credit for the increase, it was him thanking God and not putting any efforts, any kind of credit to his own efforts, right? It's always God that gives the increase in these situations. So with these verses in mind, I want to show you our ministry in Malaysia and kind of this is how it developed. If I'm thinking of a scriptural basis for it, this is how it developed. Uh, hours and hours and hours and hours of relationship building. You can see we have people in our homes all the time. We have people, uh, again, receiving tuition, just fellowshipping with us. We do counseling ministries, all that other stuff. Uh, many times, 
our kids have come home from school and seen a house full of people and they're just going, oh, and just headed up the stairs, right? You know, more and more people all the time, right? And it's not that we don't have family time. We make sure that we put a fence around that too, but uh, it's important. And then after that, you spend even more hours with people, talking to them, just getting to know them. In Asia, we take our shoes off anytime we go inside. So it's very common to see a whole bunch of shoes outside the front door, not in any kind of order or anything like that, not put nicely on a shelf, just sitting right on your front doormat there. And, uh, and, and, and this is what you do. This is mission work, right? Mission work happens in this kind of setting, right? It doesn't happen in churches. It happens... Uh, at home and in your coffee shop and at your kid's school and things like that. On and on and on it goes. This is my wife spending time with ladies. This is taken, I think, probably like four years ago before the church even started. Uh, I counted last night and four of these ladies in this picture uh, are, are new believers because of my wife being with them and they attend our church to this day. Uh, probably two or three others have visited the church in time past. It just takes hour after hour of socializing with people. Uh, the man here in the picture on the left, his name is K.K. Ung. He has uh, been with us for about four of the five years. He is a, an, an obstetrician, gynecologist in Malaysia. And uh, he, he's our landlord, actually. When it came time to start the church, he'd been coming to our Bible study. Along with his wife, her name is Lynn on the left there. And uh, he gave us a 50% discount on our rent and said, here, just take the church and move in. And we did. And that's been almost three years ago now. Uh, his daughter is Wansin, the little girl sitting here. And this is at a Chinese restaurant on the mainland. This is about 50 miles from my house on the mainland. And it's a hole-in-the-wall little place that no white man has probably ever been. So I... I, I uh, was there, and I was sitting next to one scene, and we were kind of playing. I don't even remember what we were doing. And I kind of leaned one way, and I'm a big guy, you know, and my chair came out from under me, and I went spilling across the floor. And and uh, I, I uh, hope, I'm sure they hope that no white man ever comes back to this place, right? It's pretty stupid looking. <laughs> but humble, right? We talked about being low people. We started a Friday night Bible study about five years ago to, to this week. And our, we had one lady that came, and she was American when we started. So that was five years ago. So we weren't exactly, you know, we didn't know that many people yet. And, but, you know, we've had this, this Friday night Bible study standing for five years, and now it regularly gets 35 to 40 people, right? It just happens over time that people come. And uh, we study through a book of the Bible, usually one chapter a week. We're in Galatians right now. We just finished chapter 3. And that's part of having people in your home. In fact, uh, this this picture is of our living room. We, we moved from a kind of an apartment to a house just to have a bigger space. And, and our church really started in this living room with this Bible study. That's one of the best ways to start a church is just with a, a Bible study. And uh, so for years, we did this. And here's a picture of Anna here years ago. And, and uh, Anna is by far, and I'm not embellishing this at all, by far the most effective missionary in our family, right? She, everyone loves Anna. All the little kids love her. She's still young enough that she can't go out like the older kids. She's not out on Friday nights with friends and stuff like that. She's stuck at home with us and... and uh, 
the kids love Anna to this day they do. And she's taught them and she's, she is our Friday night kids coordinator. She goes to the other room with the little kids and they do things. So this Friday night Bible study has, uh, has kind of been a, a big boon to the ministry. We started also five years ago in maybe September. It'll be five years. A Thursday English class outreach. Uh, the lady that's teaching this, this is four years ago, but she goes to our church too. She's a British lady. Uh, she and I and her husband, we, we, we teach it. We have a, a basic class for mostly Chinese speakers. And we have an advanced class that uh, that her husband teaches. So we started this about five years ago. This is the English class when we moved to our church. And we found a program where you can actually learn English and learn Bible at the same time. So this is what this is. So almost none of these ladies speak any English at all. And they come to our church every Thursday now for, for many years to, to do this. Most of these same people still come. And we started the church. So here's uh, when I want to talk about the church. We started the church with this motto. Penang Bible Church exists to honor the Lord Jesus Christ by proclaiming his gospel of grace throughout Malaysia and beyond and by edifying others through spiritual training and encouragement. And you may have noticed when we were going through the verses that I had the Chinese in there. A service for us is that we have Chinese translation. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But this is what we wanted to do when we started. Uh, we put it up to our people. We started with about maybe four families. I, at least I knew there were four families that we, we would start a church with when the time came. And I said, well, what do you want to call the church? And they said, well, what are your churches called back home? And I said, well, most of them are like Grace Bible Church or Berean Bible Church. And somebody said, well, how about Penang Bible Church? And it wasn't taken, so we took it. And that's what we are today. We're Penang Bible Church. We started November 6, 2016. And uh, this is our space. We have the third floor of what we call a shop house, which is just kind of a what you would call a strip mall, except it's it's got more floors than just one. And the church still does a lot of these same ministries. We have a lot of kids' involvement. We, from the very beginning, wanted to make sure that, that our, our kids and our family were involved and also kids that we know in our community that were involved. So uh, this was a mural that was painted right before the church opened by these three and one other guy. They, they spent three weekends in here painting this mural. And this now is in our, our kids' Sunday school room. Um, Here's Anna teaching Sunday school. I think this was the first Sunday that church ever opened. This is a long time ago. And she was teaching Sunday school along with my wife that day. We have Sunday school every Sunday. We have it for elementary kids in this classroom with the mural in the background. We call this the mural room. And uh, this is about a typical crowd. We usually have about maybe between 12 and 15 kids on a Sunday morning in elementary school. And they, they do all the same kinds of things that you do here at the church. As a matter of fact, uh, we use a lot of uh, CEF material that Miss Rita has uh, helped us acquire. We have a middle school classroom. Our middle school at the group at the church is a little bigger, maybe about 15 kids. And uh, every single Sunday, we try to do a lot of outreach in our community as a church. We are kind of connected to an orphanage. Alex was able to see it and some others. Uh, it's called Batu Grace Orphanage. And it's a Hindu orphanage. And, and what that means is that it's all Indian kids. About 10% of the population of Malaysia is Indian. And they, they tend to put the, the orphans, 
to, to cluster them by race. Malaysia is a very racially segregated place. Uh, the, the three big races there are Chinese, Malay, Indian. They, they tolerate each other well enough, but they don't really have a lot of social interaction, and they, they would never be in a, uh, an orphanage together. So you have a Chinese orphanage and a Hindu orphanage. So we, we come out here, and we try to minister the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. Uh, our church supports them monthly. This is Grandma, right? This lady here. Now, this is my wife, and this is Grandma. Now, I, I don't have any idea of Grandma's name. I don't know her first name. I don't know her last name. She's been coming to church since day one, and I think she's 86 years old. And she's got to get up three flights of steps with no elevator at our church. She's got to get up all of them every Sunday. And uh, she's a, a real delight. She is... Old enough that when the Japanese took over Penang at the start of World War II, I think she was about 11 years old or something like that, and she had to, to dress as a boy for four years to pretend to be a boy just to, to keep out of trouble. And uh, so she's lived through a lot of things, and she became a believer uh, late in life. I think she was in her late 70s when she became a believer. And she lugs up those stairs every Sunday. And, and I literally don't have any idea what her name is. We all just call her Grandma. Uh, we have a counseling ministry at the church. This is something we put a lot of emphasis on. People are hurting all over the place. The problems that you have here in America, marriages and whatever else, they have them in Malaysia too. One problem we have in Malaysia that I think is maybe a little bit more common than here is gambling. Chinese people love to gamble. And there's a lot of online gambling and they... They, uh, the websites that they do this on, are, they're smart. They, they know how to make money. They'll let them win big early. And then they have algorithms to kind of let them keep playing and, and try to reproduce that feeling they got when they won. And they hardly ever win after that. And a lot of people get hooked on, on gambling. I've myself have counseled about three or four guys in that. So we have a counseling ministry. We also have a counseling training ministry. My wife teaches this. She's taught through it four times now, maybe five. And uh, the people in our church come and they learn how to, to be counselors. There's nothing, and this, this is faster for you and your, your people, there's nothing better that your church can do than to provide a counseling ministry. Nothing will bring people here quicker and better than uh, helping them, right? Helping them with their problems. So that's something to think about. So we're trying to train our people to, to be good counselors. We actually offer counseling training for other missionaries too. There's missionaries that live in the same region as us. This is a group of Korean missionaries that my wife trained, went through the, took through this program, and now they've taken the same skills back to the different places they minister. Uh, this couple here, this is Sunny and Song Soo, they were at our church for a couple of years, as, and now they're missionaries in, in uh, Iran. So that's a tough, tough place to be missionaries at. And this other couple here, uh, this is uh, Barnabas and Grace. And they are missionaries in the Middle East somewhere. I forget where, maybe Jordan or Syria or somewhere. And then this lady and her husband are, are missionaries to Malay people in Malaysia, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a tough thing to do. You've got to be smart about that. So we try to, to offer counseling for training for that. We have a premarital counseling ministry. And I put this picture up here because we, we counseled this lady. Her name is Joyce and... She was going to get married to a guy named Winston, and it, it didn't work out. But because of that, we met Winston, and Winston is uh, one of our one of our best contacts on the mainland. In fact, 
uh, I think if, if I could reproduce myself or have more hours in a day, we'd already have a church there by now. We have uh, spent a lot of time with him. He's really uh, keen to see a church in his place. He's just got married to a to a different girl. And uh, we're hoping to, to get over there as soon as possible. You're going to have a couple come to your church in the fall, Joel and Leah Sanders, who are aiming to come out our way and to, to be with us in Malaysia. And this is... Uh, project number one for them is to get a church started in this place and this will be the contact that we find so you know you you meet contacts in lots of different ways uh and he's a great great guy an indian guy middle school game night you know we try to do once a month just have the the kids get together we don't have great facilities to have a, a full youth program but we kind of farm that out to different people i didn't put any pictures here but we have also a high school retreat every single month uh, we have about six high schoolers in our church, and they go out on a Sunday morning every month and just kind of spend time together and um, go through some activities. We started a small group program this year, uh, which has been a, a good thing for us to help people get integrated in the church. The The big tall guy in the middle, his name is Peter Stewart. He's an American that goes to our church. He's a chiropractor, and uh, he is one of our, he is our small group director. And he's taken that over and done a real good job with it. We have three small groups that meet. By the way, the church is about, on average, about 95 to 100 people during on a normal Sunday. And probably about half of those are involved in the small groups. We're trying to, to make that more prevalent. We have three music teams. This is one of them. This is kind of, I call this our local team. The man on the left there is named Fabian. And he's a, a Chinese man. I think he's 60, just turned 60 years old. And uh, he's, he's an interesting one. He's uh, got a, a history of kind of mental problems and struggles in, in that area. In fact, the first time I met him was in a counseling situation. And he was, uh, he, he cussed me every which way from Sunday, we'd say back in the South, right? He really did not want to be around me. But we we were there at the request of his wife and ended up getting to know him real well and he is just a dear guy and he's helped us tremendously matter of fact even these last couple of days since i've been here we've had some some uh, major plumbing problems at the church which is real common in malaysia and he's the one that's handling all of that he's kind of our groundskeeper and our, our facilities coordinator and uh, he's really seen a, a big improvement in his mental health too he was already a believer when i met him but I think he's grown a lot stronger in the, in the Lord. And part of that is through the doctrine. We talked about doctrine and how important that is. You know, there's a lot of bad doctrine in the world. And you think it's bad here. Go to Malaysia. It's really bad in Malaysia where you, you can't find a whole lot of truth from Christian people uh, anywhere. And having some good teaching, I think, has helped him a lot. The man in the middle is named JB. He comes from one of our churches in the Philippines. He was working in Malaysia. I don't know if you know this, but I think more than half of people in the Philippines now are exported to another country. Their biggest export now is their people. And they go to other countries and work and and are able to make a good living. And then the lady on the right there, her name is Sarah. She's trying to get a a Ph.D. degree, also a Filipina. And so this is one of our worship teams. We have two more teams, and they just rotate, much like you do, I'm sure, every every third Sunday. And just a picture of, of them practicing at the church. 
On Thursday, we started this past year what we call our multilingual Bible study. And we have uh, uh, this lady. Her name is Kim, Dongmei Kim. And she speaks English and Chinese and Korean. She speaks all three. She's Korean by, by race, but she grew up in China in a Korean family. And then she married a, a European, so they, they can only communicate in broken English, right? He's, he's Dutch. So that's pretty common, actually, to have a kind of a, a Chinese lady marry a Western guy or like a European guy, and they speak to each other their whole life in broken English. It, it's uh, really common. We started this study, and I teach most of it. I can teach about 50% of it, maybe a little bit more than 50% in Chinese. And most of the people are Chinese, probably 90%. So every Thursday we get together, about 30 to 35 people. And what's interesting is it's not much of an overlap from our Sunday services. These are 30 to 35 different people than come on Sunday for the most part. And we have just a, just another kind of Bible study and life issues class and she does all the interpreting. She's, she's a real valuable uh, friend to have. She goes to our church now for for several years. Matter of fact, I, it's interesting. I met her the the first weekend we arrived in Malaysia. I met her, uh, but I didn't see her again for a long time after that. And then she ended up being a big part of our ministry. So this this class I'm excited about, and we're going to seek to develop it this year quite a lot. I mentioned the Chinese translation. The lady on the right is Eunice, and she is in charge of our translation. We have three translators, and what we do is every week I prepare a, a slideshow, much like this one. It's not my preference. My preference is to stand with the Bible and to preach, but you know, more than probably 60% of our, our people are not native English speakers. They can speak English well enough, but they're not native. So I translate all of our slides every week, or I send it off, most of the time I send it off for translation, and then we have a kind of a little room to the side, and as I'm speaking, then we have a real-time Chinese translation going on so that I don't have to say a word and then she translate it and then me say it's just kind of happening in this room over here and everybody that's listening is on basically on like a WhatsApp call together. Uh, that's how we do it. It's the, there's there's a, a $10,000 solution and there was a free solution. So we took the free solution and it works just fine for our Chinese translation. Our church, and I think about your church a lot when I think about how I want to structure our church in terms of missions. I know this church is sold out for missions, and our church is too. We try to to give most of our money to missions every month. Our overhead is low. The building we rent is about 500 U.S. dollars a month, and uh, nobody takes a salary at the church. So we have just a few little utilities and things like that, and everything else is directed to our TCM teams. Usually it's a team. We have uh, the, the team model that we use is, is there because the teams can't come back to the states and, and deputize like we Americans can. So we have the team model. So Vietnam, Cambodia, East Timor, <clears throat> Laos, Myanmar, Taiwan, we send them uh, something like maybe $300 a month. And we really try to get behind them the way you get behind us. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about establishing churches that will establish churches that will establish churches. And that's what we're trying to do. And we look to you as the example for that. We uh, have a good soldier fund. We started this about maybe about a little more than four years ago now. I was in the Philippines. I was invited to be the graduation speaker at, at two of our schools there. This was March of 2015. 
And after I gave a graduation speech, this young lady, her name is Cherry Claire Sadoikis, she was at the Bible school, and she came in to talk to the director, and they were talking in the local language. I didn't understand it. When, when she left, the director said, she can't come back next year. She doesn't have the money. I was like, oh, well, you know, how much is that? And I was thinking maybe I could sponsor her. And he said, it's, we, we did the arithmetic, and it's, it turned out to be like $91 for a semester. I thought, man, isn't that awful that for $91, this girl can't go and get training to be you know, a, a ministry leader or a missionary? And there were four or five others, I can't remember, just like her, that just they couldn't come back the next year because they're from dirt poor families in a place where you just can't get hold of $91 so easily. So I wrote some friends and I said, hey, there's some, there's some, some students here that need some sponsorship. Would you like to sponsor them? And they did. And Actually, I got a little bit more funding for that. And then we got a big check right after that so that we could sponsor a whole bunch. So this first year uh, was 53 scholarships. Why am I pointing back there? That doesn't make any sense. 53 scholarships here right? that we were able to do. After, and, and this was just the Lord kind of taking the mantle and saying, I need these people supported. Right? And uh, every year since then, well, we gave it a name. I called it the Good Soldier Fund. And every year since then, we've tried to provide scholarships to Bible school students. And I tell people this is one of the the very best ways that you can spend your ministry dollars because it goes directly to these students. Uh, And these students, almost 100% of them, go on to be full-time ministers and missionaries and things like that. But isn't it terrible that for $91, you know, that somebody might not have that opportunity? So we want to make sure that they can as much as we can. We picked up Myanmar a few years ago, two years ago. We have uh, 10 students and then 17 this past year that the scholarship program supports. And I, I think I'm right about this. Maybe Alex can give me a yes or no, but I think that your church has even supported the Good Soldier Fund in the past. It seems like I got uh, my statement recently and it was on there. So thank you for that. And again, that's something that helps helps tremendously in these third world countries to get the gospel out to people. We went to Myanmar to visit the, the students that we were sponsoring here. And uh, this is what they look like, right? Actually, in that picture, I, I stand out, of course, in that picture. But in that picture, I'm doing this, right? So had I stood up straight, I would have been even taller. The, the Southeast Asians are tiny, tiny people, right? And when I went to Myanmar, I took with me this guy. His name is Dai, Dai Fei. And he's a Chinese guy, a few years older than me, from China, lives in Penang, Malaysia, as many Chinese do. And he wanted to kind of see what was going on with Christians around the world. He became a believer in our Bible study about four years ago. And when a Chinese becomes a believer, it's not a... The way we think of it is that one moment you're not a believer... And then you're a believer, right? You're outside the circle, and then you have faith, and then you're inside the circle. And, you know, the Bible talks about being passed from death to life. And I believe that that's true, right? But for a Chinese, it's just, it's not actualized that way quite so much. It's a slow crawl to faith. So when he first came to our Bible study, he walked in the door and he said, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm nothing. I have no religion. I just want to see what's going on. I said, okay, well, come on in. So he came for two or three weeks, and I said, well, and, and one, one 
Friday we get, we gave a like a lesson on faith, and I mentioned that faith is kind of a sliding scale, right? It's not just you have it or you don't, but you're somewhere on a spectrum of faith. And I said, well, where are you on the spectrum of faith? And he said, well, maybe five percent, right? And then a few months later, it was 25%. And a few months later, it was 50%. And now he's a full-fledged believer. But it's, that's how it happens with Chinese people, Asian people in general. Is it's just a slow kind of crawl to faith. He came with me on this trip, and, and he gave a testimony to the, the students there. And he doesn't speak great English, so it had to be interpreted. But uh, he, uh, he told the students, he said, you're lucky that you get this while you're young. That's the word he used, is you're lucky that you get to, to learn about God while you're young. In China, where he's from, there's no opportunities, I'll say very few opportunities for anybody like him to have grown up under the faith at all. And the interesting thing about him, you know, we just, was it a week or two ago, we, we kind of uh, commemorated the 30-year anniversary of the Tiananmen Square thing? You remember that just a few weeks ago, right? Well, he was there, and he was one of the revolutionaries that was there. And he was arrested there. They had a bottle broken over the back of his head, and he was arrested, and he was put in jail for a month and uh, until finally they broke him. And he had, a write, had to write a letter to the government that said, you know, I'm sorry I was there. I fully acknowledge that my presence was illegal. He wrote all the right things, you know, and he, he finally got out of jail. But isn't it amazing that the Lord... And it is the Lord can take, you know, a Chinese revolutionary and give him the, the access to salvation that he today enjoys. And that's the kind, that's why we do missions, right? Is to, to help show people the light and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ so that their lives can be changed too. And now today he loves telling anybody that will listen that, you know, he's a believer, that he's a Christian. And he goes back, he works about three weeks in China, and then he's in Malaysia for about three weeks. And he's had an influence on his friends and his family, and, and uh, he's going to continue doing that, I'm sure. So I'll close with this. Everything that we see that we've, that we've uh, been a part of in Malaysia, I'm going to go back to this verse. We give the Lord Jesus Christ the credit for the increase, right? Without ceasing, let's make sure that, that it's him that gets the credit. Uh, it's been the privilege of my life these last five years to see how he works in our midst. And I know he can do it here too in the States, but I just, I never experienced it in, in quite the same way here as I did there. When you go to a group of people that are in total shrouded in darkness, right? They, they don't have any access to the gospel. And then you bring the gospel to them and you see lives change, you see families that their whole destiny, generations will be affected by the gospel. There's nothing that will warm your soul quicker than something like that. That's the, the, again, the honor of my life to have been a part of these last five years. And moving forward, we look forward to a, a whole lot more too. So I thank you for your support of our family and of, of our mission, Things to Come Mission. Um, we talk about you all the time, right? both my family and people in the mission. And I just want you to know what you're doing is important. Right? It's, it's, it's important to to stand behind us as we go and we do the work and it's important that the work get done properly and it's happening because of of folks like you so thank you so i will just close with this by saying thank you for praying for malaysia and will you pray with me now as we just close our, our sermon here lord thank you again for offering us salvation full and free 
And Lord, there's so many people that don't have any kind of access to this. They sit in darkness. And when they do hear your gospel, there's a brightness that comes into their soul that's just undescribable. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for reaching out and reaching down to us when you didn't have to. And I pray for our ministry in Malaysia that you'll continue to bring people to it. Pray that you'll continue to give my family good health and strength so that we can persevere through it. I pray for Berean Bible Church of Shoreline that they'll continue to be able to support missions in the way that they are. So important, Lord, that we work together as a team to do this work. Most of all, Lord, I thank you for dying for our sins. That's the most important thing that that any of us in this room could ever believe is that you did it and that without you doing it, we would have no way to have access to you, that we would not spend one day of eternity with you, but we'd be separated forever. Thank you, thank you, Lord. We give you the credit for all the increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. I'd like to ask Pat and his family to come on over here in the middle. And as uh, I'd ask you to let them walk through first before we dismiss. be a great opportunity to meet with them and speak in the narthex. Bless them and encourage them. I ask you to do that. Uh, I love what you said earlier in your sermon about all of us have a ministry. And I really appreciate you sharing yours with us. It was a real encouragement to me and encourage them as well. I'd like to close with a prayer of blessing. And this blessing is upon you and your family, but also upon us as a family as well. Pray with me, please. Father God, thank you so much for the encouragement and for the light that you've shown this morning in our service through Pat and his family and their ministry in Malaysia. We thank you, Father, for that encouragement and for that, uh, uh, the encouragement to ourselves have a ministry and, and to practice that faith, uh, as we share the gospel around us. So as Pat and his family are on, uh, a time away, I still pray, Lord, that you, you move before them, that you go before all of us, that you stay to our left and to our right, that you be above us and below us and behind us, that you encircle them and encircle us with your power through the Holy Spirit and your love in Jesus Christ as you move us in the world, through the world, as we shine your light. We thank you, Father, for all you bless us with, and we praise you in your Son's name. Amen.